welcome to Central Baptist Church tonight. It's good to see each one of you here now. If you will, find your place and get your songbook. We'll sing a little bit. Let's turn first of all to number 137, 137. One hundred thirty-seven. I'll ask you if you will stand.
good evening. Good to welcome you to our Wednesday evening service. Good to see each of you tonight. We have a lot of folks that are have contacted that uh, strain of flu that's been going around, and um, so there's very few of us here tonight. <laughs> a lot of a lot of folks are out sick. Uh, I. think we have any anything special going on this week now Sunday night uh, of course we'll be having a fellowship for um, Mike and Andrew and the kids and um, so be planning for that throw in extra ham hock or something in the bowl and and let's send them all they won't get another good meal for a long time now so uh, so be <laughs> All right, Esther, would you come and let's receive the offering. <clears throat> I know some of you have been asking me, what are we going to do, preacher? I said, I don't know. I, I'm just trying not to even think about it right now. I, um, <clears throat> but we'll survive. All right, let's go to the Lord in prayer and ask his blessings on the offering and on our service here tonight. Brother Howell, would you lead us in prayer? Amen. your prayer list, look it over. Uh, Jan Singer is in the hospital. She's been having problem with high blood pressure. And um, the uh, family of Fred Roberts' nephew, uh, Fred was just telling me he just passed away. Remember them, and also Karen's school sister. So remember these families. Jim and Patty Houlihan are traveling and the Jansik family, it's not Sonny and Gloria, but uh, their family. So uh, remember them in prayer. 
All right, you have uh, an addition, or if you had a prayer request been answered, Danny. Who's that? I don't understand. Yeah. Okay, well, I'll, I'll just wait. We'll see if we can find out. Because uh, Tony might know something. <clears throat> Anyone else? All right. Very good, then. Stand again. Get your songbook. Bill, come lead us another song. Number 144. Open your Bibles to 1 Corinthians chapter 12. A lot of times uh, people will ask questions as they're leaving, going out the door there, and it's kind of a question that you can't answer in a few brief statements. So uh, I tell them, well, maybe at some point I'll be able to deal with that. Uh, someone had, had asked, uh, really it's been several several weeks, maybe even months ago now, but um, where it talks about being baptized by the Holy Spirit and it's what that mean, means and is that why the Church of Christ believes that you have to be baptized to be saved? Um, so I want to deal with that, but, uh, but it, there, there's a lot of other things involved that we will want to look at here tonight. So chapter 12, 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 13. For by one spirit, we're all baptized into one body. Uh, the moment that you receive the Lord Jesus Christ as your Savior, you are placed into the body of Christ. Whether we be Jews or, or Greeks, bond or free, have, have been all 
made to drink into one spirit. When, when you became a Christian, you were, you were placed, and, and that's what the baptizing of the Holy Spirit means. You were baptized or, or placed into the body of Christ. It's like baptism, the word baptism, it means uh, to immerse, to dip into, uh, putting, putting somebody into. You were, you were put into the body of Christ. You became a member of the body of Christ. That's synonymous with the concept of the church. You became a member of the church of the Lord Jesus Christ. You may not join a local church yet. You may not have an official membership in a local church, but, but the moment you were saved, you, you were baptized into Christ's body. And that's one of the terms used for, for the church. The Bible uses several terms for the church. Uh, sometimes we're called a flock. Christ is the shepherd. It, uh, sometimes we're called the branches, and he's the vine. It calls us subjects of a kingdom, and he's a king. It calls us children in a family, and he's the father. Uh, there are many metaphors for the church, but one of them, and a very unique one, is the concept of the body, that we're members of the body of Christ. Now, when we came into the family, we came into that body, and uh, 1 Corinthians twelve fourteen says, the body is not one member, but many. So we're all part of the body of Christ. Now, this occurs at your salvation. So point number one is to understand your salvation. It's very important that we understand what took place when we, we were saved. I think, uh, I think a lot of people, a lot of Christians, uh, go through the whole life of getting saved and never really, never really understand everything that happened uh, when, you, when you got saved. Maybe a simple way to approach this would be uh, for you to uh, look with me at the book of Ephesians and chapter 2. Ephesians chapter 2 verse 11 says, Wherefore remember that you in time past were Gentiles in the flesh. And if you have a reference Bible, you, you, might, you might have had a little number beside that word Gentiles there and over in the margin. That's another word for heathen. You were in time past heathen in the flesh. Now that's specifically directed to the Christians who were Gentile Christians. Verse 12 says that at that time you were without Christ, aliens from the commonwealth of Israel, strangers from the covenant of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. Now that's a picture of an unbeliever without Christ, without God, without hope, without promise, just empty. But verse 13 says, but now in Christ Jesus, ye who were once far off are made nigh by the blood of Christ. You were once far off from God, without God, without Christ, without hope, uh, without promise, but in Christ you have been made near, for he is our peace who has made both one and broken down the middle wall of partition between us. Now it's as if you and, uh, you and God were at enmity, you were enemies. And Christ took the hand of God in your hand and brought them together. 
And often you know uh, someone who is mutually loved by two people uh, can succeed in doing that, bringing, uh, bringing two people together. Sometimes you have a mother and a father who become estranged, and a child who is loved by both of them can be the catalyst to bring them back together. There's a great story that came out of World War II, and, and uh, you, you might have heard this. I've, I've heard uh, this illustration given several times over the years. The French and the Germans were fighting. And the Germans occupied a farmhouse, and the French were trying to take the farmhouse, and they were shooting across this field at each other. And all of a sudden, one of the soldiers cried out, hold your fire, because there was a little baby crawling across the field. Somehow, it had ma managed to get out of the farmhouse and was out loose, out crawling across the field. And uh, the Germans saw the little baby at the same time that the French did, and, and they had the same response. And the interesting result of the story was that all the firing ceased, and some uh, newspaper reporter when he wrote down the, the article in relation to that incident, said that a babe had brought peace. In a real sense, that's, pro, that's what happened with Jesus Christ. He came into the world to bring peace between those who were enemies, God and man. We were at enmity with Christ. That means that we were enemies. And the reason we're enemies with God is because he's holy and we're sinful and sin is what estranges us. And Christ comes and takes the two parties and brings them together. He's our peace. And the metaphor here is it's like breaking down a wall that was between us. And it's not just talking about between us and God, but between Jew and Gentile as well. There's some folks nowadays ought to read that, don't you think? With all the hatred that's going on uh, toward the Jewish people. Now, further on, it says in verse 16, he desires to reconcile both Jew and Gentile into God, unto God in one body by the cross. So Jew and Gentile are brought together, and then both of them in the church are brought together with, with God. And, and the, then the cross, the cross of Christ, accomplishes this. The cross is the, is the thing, the act that took away sin, and sin was the wall. Sin was the barrier between us and God. And so when the cross was accomplished and we put our faith in Christ, the barrier is removed and we're brought to God in one body. And, and so the church, the church is all one. It, you know, uh, whether you're Baptist, Presbyterian, Methodist, whatever, if you've been born again, then you're saved. You're, if, you, if you've accepted Christ, repent of your sins, accepted Christ, then you're, then you're saved. You've been born again, and you're one in the body of Christ. In 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 17, it says, He that is joined to the Lord is one spirit. So all of those who are joined to Christ are one in Christ. Now, over in uh, Ephesians chapter 4, verse 17, it tells a little bit about our life before we were Christians. He said, this I say, therefore, and testify in the Lord that ye walk henceforth not as other Gentiles walk. Now, how do, how do Gentiles walk? How do unsaved people act? 
he, he says, in the vanity of their mind, having the understanding darkened, alienated from the life of God to the ignorance that is in them because of the blindness of their heart. And the Bible goes on that they're past feeling. In, in other words, their, their consciences no longer really control them. They have seared their conscience. They've disobeyed it so long, it has little effect. So that's a picture of an unsaved person. He walks like the heathen in the vanity of his mind. He's guided by his own thoughts. His understanding is darkened. He can't really know the truth. He's alienated from the life of God, spiritually dead. His heart is blind. He has no feeling toward God. He gives himself over to evil things, to a wild kind of living and uncleanness and greediness and all of that. But he said here, but you have not so learned Christ. I'm talking now to see those that are saved. You have not so learned Christ. When you receive Christ, a whole new life begins. And all of that ceases to exist in the newness of life in Christ. I remember, I remember when I got saved, I was almost 22 years old. And um, I had, you know, I was not, I was not the type of young person that had got involved in different things. I never drank, never made a habit of smoking. I sometimes, because back when I was a teenager, it was kind of a, kind of looked on as a macho thing, you know. To smoke, they even had the Marlboro Man. Some of you may remember, and uh, and so you know sometimes I'd take a puff, but I never really developed the habit. I uh, and and because my dad just wouldn't let me, I never got into much meanness. You know, <laughs> I knew he would kill me if I did. So, so I wanted to stay alive. But um, but when I got saved, there there was a big change that took place because because my thinking now was different. My, my ambitions, you know, my, my goals in life, and all, and, and you know, where I had really no interest in going to church, I, I did go because Mama made me, uh, but I had no interest in it. But once I got saved, and you've heard me say this before, uh, I, I, I wish they'd have had church every night. I wanted to go so bad. I wanted to be in church so, so bad. And, uh, but see, my whole, my whole outlook on life changed. When I got saved, and it, was, it wasn't, uh, you know, it wasn't a, a gradual over several years kind of a thing. I mean, it just when I when I got saved, I my, right then my my outlook on life and my my ambitions and all that, all of it changed. Now, now I did, you know, I had to grow and mature in the Lord, just like anybody else. But, but. Um, But, but even though what, what I'm trying to say is even a, even a person that's been in church, been in Sunday school, uh, when you get saved, everything, your whole outlook change, changes. And uh, I know that happened with me. So, uh, so the, the, the picture then given here, the verses we just read there, uh, of an unsaved person, he walks like the heathen, in the vanity of his mind, he's guided by his own thoughts. His understanding is dark, and he can't really know the truth. Alienated from the life of God, spiritually dead. 
That's why a person has to be born again because his, his spirit is dead. He has to be, he, he has to have a new spirit, divine spirit imputed to him. No feeling toward God and all that. So there's a tremendous transformation. One other passage in Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 1, it says, And you hath he made alive who were dead in trespass and sin. And the words quickened, the word you hath he quickened, it means made alive who were dead in trespass and sin. Before you were a Christian, you were dead, not physically, but spiritually dead. So, so your salvation then is an awakening into the realm of the presence of God. When, when you were saved, you became alive. Now, part of that new life includes you being incorporated in the body of Christ. Very important concept. So your salvation then was a great transformation. Uh, you, were, you belonged to the world. You were insensitive to God. And then all of a sudden, by the transformation of salvation, you have been placed in the body of Christ. Uh, and get, I'm trying to emphasize, in Christ. You are in Christ. Placed in Christ. You, you have been uh, saved from deadness into life, and, and now you can sense God. You know, sometimes people, people say, you know, as they're leaving, say, boy, you could, you could really feel the presence of God today. You could sense the presence of God. Lost people can't sense that. There's a barrier, and that barrier is sin, a sin barrier. But uh, people that know the Lord, uh, they can, they can uh, feel God. They can know God and walk in eternal life. And, and incidentally, eternal life is, is not just a length of time. E eternal life is a, is a kind of living it's, it's a new kind of life, new kind of living. And that's the new life that comes in Christ. So you understand your salvation and what it did. Now, secondly, I want you to look a little bit at this idea of understanding your position. Understanding your position. Now that you're in the body of Christ, now that you're a Christian, what does that mean? Well, what it means is that you are in Christ in the truest sense of the word. Your position to begin with is you are in Christ. Now, I mean, I mean that in the most realistic sense. When God sees you, you, you ever heard this before? When God sees you, he sees you in Christ. In other words, he sees Christ. And that, when, when you understand that, uh, Boy, that's something that'll rock you. Understand that the Lord, when if you're saved and you're in Christ, when God sees you, he sees Christ. And that's why God can impute righteousness to you because he sees you in Christ. And that's why God can, give you, can forgive your sin because he sees you in Christ. And that's why Romans 8 says you're a joint heir with Christ because everything that comes to Christ comes to you because you are in Christ. So when you became a Christian, you were made to be identified uniquely in the person of Jesus Christ. That's a tremendous concept. Every possession of Christ, every empowerment of Christ becomes ours 
because we are in Christ. It's a, a tremendous concept. And of course, this is why we say that a believer, uh, for, for just that reason alone, a believer cannot lose his salvation. Because that would be, that would be, uh, be that Christ would have to lose his salvation because we are in Christ. And he's God. You're in Christ. There's security there, you see. Your identification is in him. In Ecclesiastes, there, there's an interesting verse. There's a lot of interesting verses, but this is one that I want to call your attention. Ecclesiastes 3.14. And I point this out because I want you to understand how complete you are in Christ. It says there, I know that whatsoever God doeth, it shall be forever. Whatsoever God doeth, it shall be forever. Who saved you? And he said, nothing can be put to it, nor anything taken from it. And God doeth it that men should fear before him. Now, when God does something, there's nothing that can be added to it, and there's nothing that can be taken away from it. That's true of anything, and it's even true of your salvation. If God saved you, that settles it. It's total. It's forever. It's complete. You're not, you're not half saved or three-quarters saved or saved to a point, and you've got to add a few little items along the way. If you're saved, God did it. And whatsoever God doeth, it shall be forever. Amen? You can't add anything to it. You can't take anything away from it. You became a total Christian the moment you believed. I've often said those of you that are saved, you're just as saved right now as you're going to ever be. Now, that doesn't mean you're perfect because you still have that old nature to deal with, the flesh, but, but uh, you're as saved as far as salvation is concerned. You're as saved as you're going to ever be. Now, you should grow. When you get saved, you're just a babe in Christ, so, so you, you should grow. But as far as your salvation is concerned, you're, you're as saved as you're going to ever be. You're just as much in heaven as you're going to ever be the moment that you got saved. You know, when a baby is born in the world, it, it doesn't come in and, you know, and just got part of, part of the body. You know, after a while, after three months, it grows an arm, and then all of a sudden... Six months later, a leg pop, pops out, and pretty soon you've got a little little human-looking thing. No, uh, babies come to the world from the, from the time they're the teeniest little things. They have all the parts, right? They've got all the parts. They have all the, 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 the parts just get bigger. They just get bigger. But when you became a Christian... You're not a spiritual polywog with just a, a squiggly little tail, and as you mature, you pop out the new parts. You're a total Christian. You have been born again, and you're a total Christian. The only question is the process of growing. You see, you see what what we learn from this. It's, it's only a process of developing what you already are because you are complete in him. Colossians chapter 2 verse 10 says, for you are complete in him. Second Peter chapter 1 verse 3, 
that you have all things pertaining to life and godliness. You, you lack absolutely nothing. There are no ingredients you don't have. There's nothing missing. You are a totally, perfectly formed babe in Christ. Now you need to grow. You need to mature those parts to bring them to a place where they can really operate for maximum effect. But no parts are missing. You're totally complete. And that's a very important concept. Now because we're in Christ, God sees us in in fulfillment of all of his requirements. Christ came and fulfilled the whole law. And since you're in Christ in the eyes of God, you also fulfill the whole law. You're in Christ. You're secure in Christ. You're possessors of peace. You're one. You're in grace. You're in fellowship. You're joyful. You're spirit indwelt and led. You're spirit gifted. You're empowered for service and you, and you have love. Now, you know, whenever, whenever you realize that, you come to grips with all this. That's pretty exciting, exciting stuff, isn't it? Well, that's who you are. In the eyes of God, that is, who, that is our position. That is our standing. Living up to your position is a different thing. That's your practice. In position, you know, we're perfect. But in practice, <laughs> all of us like some things, don't we? In practice, we don't live up to our position. And since you're spiritually alive to God, live the life. Since you're dead to sin, don't give sin any place. You see, what you are positionally before God, how God sees you, may be different than how you behave. We had a, a guy at a church when I pastored there in Tennessee. I don't use any, any, any uh, members of the church here because I'm afraid you'll think I'm talking about you. But uh, we had a, had, a, had a guy there in the church, and he attended every service. He was there all the time, every service. He'd even go on visitation at times and all. But he was the most miserable individual I've ever seen in my life. He, he, just, he, just, he just could not come to the place where he accepted the fact that, you know, that now if you're saved, you have a, you have a new life. You're born again. You have a new life. And, uh, and he, he, was just, he was just miserable. Well, uh, after, after I came down here, I, I heard, you know, that there was several folks that kind of kept in contact us, with us for a while, even after we came here. And, and uh, so one, when I was talking to one of the men there on the phone one time, and, and he said, guess what? And uh, I'll, I'll, I'll call his name because, because you wouldn't know him. In fact, he's, he's dead now, but uh, Bill would know him, Ron Parker. Uh, Ron Parker was his name, and Ron... Uh, they they said to you, you know you, you know you remember Ron Park I said yeah I remember Ron Park I said you know he just got saved I said no I thought he was already saved he he claimed to be saved attended all the service and all that but, but see that's why he was so miserable 
he was not saved, but yet he was hearing the gospel preached. He was, you know, hearing the message and everything, and 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 getting under conviction, but but just just never had been truly born again. So um, so then the so then the first thing: understand your position. Understand your position, and that position, first of all, is in Christ. And then second, since you're in Christ, you're also in the body of Christ. You have a very important position there, very important. And I, I want to uh, give you a little idea of that by using the illustration. Uh, and, and this, of course, uh, is, you, you need to realize, and I don't, I don't know if I, uh, if I had the time, I could have drawn a circle and... and uh, had it there on the screen, but I didn't have the time to do it. So you're just out there in your imagination. Uh, picture a, a circle there in the center of the church. Let, let that represent the church. And the center of that is Christ. Christ rules in the church. And how is it that he rules in the church? He rules in the church through pastors. Uh, pastor Jesus is the shepherd. Pastors are the under-shepherds the under-shepherds of Christ. The Spirit of, of Christ rules through pastors, and their ministry is to equip the saints. We're told in Ephesians chapter 4 uh, that we're to equip the saints. And the saints then are equipped by the leaders of the church to minister. When the saints minister, the body of Christ is edified or built up. And the result of that is that people are saved. Now, this is basically a simple look at the structure of the church. Now, at this point, as a new Christian, you fit, you fit right in here. You're a saint, and your task is, uh, is to be equipped, is to submit to teaching and the Word of God and study. Be equipped so that you can minister. Remember in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, uh, the, the church is compared to the physical body and all the members working in the in our physical body our, all the members of our body have to be in unity you know have to be uh, coordinated so to speak you you know you uh, you can't have your hand going off here and doing one thing and your foot doing something else and and uh, you know if you're uh, out walking or something you your hand's not going to walk. It's not a foot. Uh, your ear's not going to see. It's not an eye. Uh, so everything has to work together. And there's a function for every member of our body. Back when, uh, when I was just a little boy, and uh, back then, we in little country schools, you know, in fact, I went to a school one time that Every grade was in one room. We had one teacher, and uh, every every grade she had, she'd have two rows over here that'd be first grade, two rows there'd be second grade, two rows here'd be third grade, and uh, I don't know. I think it went up to maybe the fourth grade. All in one room, one teacher. She'd assign the folk, the kids over here an assignment, and she'd move over here and she'd work with them a while, assign them assignment, move on over, and all that. Uh, but. Uh, when, when I was getting ready to start the school, they sent a county nurse around uh, to 
vaccinate you, you know, give you the shots that you have to have uh, before you start the school. Back, or it used to be that way anyway when I, when I was a kid. And, um, and so she examined, she said, uh, told my dad, said, said um, that boy's tonsils and adenoids need to be taken out. And, and he said, why? He said, they're not bothering him. He's not having any problem. He hadn't said anything you know, about having any problem with them. And he said, why does he need them out? She, why does he have to have them out? She said, he just don't need them. My dad looked at that, that nurse and he said, lady, he said, I know you're a lot smarter than I am. I only went to the eighth grade in school, but I did learn enough to know that God didn't give that boy no parts that he doesn't need. <laughs> and, you know, Every Christian in the body of Christ, every, every Christian, every person in this local body here, you have a function in this body, in this church. You have a function. You're, you're the one that needs to find out what it is, and, then, and you need to fulfill that. Uh, sometimes those are called gifts, gifts of the Holy Spirit. But, uh, but everybody, everybody has a function, and we have to, we have to work together in that in order to win souls, to be witnesses and win souls. So, uh, uh, just a, a simple look at, at the organization of the church, our part then is to submit to teaching and, and leadership. Now, when some of us don't do it, don't do what God wants us to do in the body, when we don't study the Word of God, we don't recognize our obligation to other Christians in the body and uh, you know, we and we rebel against the uh, leadership of the church, then we cease to minister. You cannot minister if you're if you're not doing the things that God wants you wants you to do in the body. See, when we cease to minister, the body of Christ becomes crippled, like uh, like our you know our physical body. You know you get up at night and, and you stub your toe on the foot of the bed or something, you know, or a table or something, and, and that thing hurts. You know, all of your attention is toward that hurting toe. And, and so the, the, uh, just even just a hurting toe will keep you from functioning the way you ought to. You get the picture? The same in the, in, the, in the body of Christ. When we cease to minister, the body of Christ becomes crippled. And then the testimony of Christ in the world is hindered because the world doesn't get a true, a true picture. So, uh, so where there is unity in the body of Christ, there's also diversity because there are different gifts. And there's also, thirdly, mutually, or, or the, the multiple... Of, uh, sharing of those various gifts. Now that that just gives you an idea of how the body, a body of Christ works. So when you became a Christian, you entered the body of Christ. You're in Christ positionally, so that everything's secured, and you are perfect positionally. Your practice needs to come into harmony with that. When you became a Christian, you were not only in Christ, but you were in the body of Christ. And as a member of a body, you have to function together. A body that, that doesn't cooperate with itself is, is spastic. 
and it's a dishonored body. We look at it, we feel pity for it. A body that cooperates is a, is a wonderful thing. We look at an athlete who's well coordinated and skilled, and we say, uh, isn't, that a, isn't that a wonderful thing, this person that he's so skilled and so uh, coordinated and, and uh, you know, it's such a specimen of, uh, such a physical specimen. Of, of perfection. <clears throat> well, that's true also in the spiritual realm. Our testimony in the world depends upon what kind of presentation we make of the body of Christ to the world. Are you listening? A functioning body that's cooperating where the foot and the hand are doing the things they're supposed to do and not standing around saying, I wish I were the nose or I wish I were an ear, I wish I was a foot or whatever. See, that's the problem of 1 Corinthians 12. So where there's cooperation, there'll be witness and an effective ministry. And then in addition to the mutual gifts that we use in the body, we're responsible for one another to make sure that we're living uh, the kind of lives that that we ought to live. <clears throat> and... Uh, and, and that would be useful in building up, edifying each other, uh, praying for one another, counseling one another, rebuking one another if need be, uh, confessing our faults to one another, and, and so forth. These are the responsibilities of the believer in the body. Now, the key to everything, I believe, is love. See, the chapter right after... Chapter 12, 1 Corinthians 12, talking about all these things. Chapter 13 follows. And what is, what is chapter 13 about? That's called the love chapter, isn't it? So without love, without all, or without love, all the other, other stuff didn't, it's not effective. Doesn't make, doesn't make any difference. Where, where love exists in the body of Christ, all these ministries will work. And I would add love only exists where there's, where there's humility. Love only exists where there's true humility. And we really need to have a sense of humility. And it only comes, I think, from, from knowing God, knowing Christ. And we, and we see how glorious they are. We'll understand how low we are. And that's really the beginning of true humility. And where we're humble, we're able to minister to other people. So that's just a basic introduction to how you function in the body uh, and to be to be baptized the, the question about what does that mean to be baptized by the spirit into the body that means that you're being put into the body of Christ you see uh, it, what are what are baptism in spite of what Church of Christ teaches water baptism doesn't do anything for your salvation. It doesn't add to it or nothing, anything else. Water baptism is a picture of what took place, of what the Spirit did to you when you were put into Christ. You were immersed in, put into, into Christ. And that's what, it, that's what it's talking about. We're talking about being baptized by the Holy Spirit.
into the body of Christ. It, it is a it is a divine act. It's something we can't we can't do ourselves. It has it can only be done by by the Holy Spirit. We're regenerated by the Holy Spirit and placed into put into the body of Christ. All right, uh, would you stand, please, with your heads bowed? going to give you an opportunity to to, uh, come spend these next few minutes in prayer. In fact, I I finished a little early here tonight, so you've got a lot of time to pray. Um, If you want to come to the altar, you you can. If you you have any other need and you'd like to come, we invite you to come. If you'd rather just stay where you are and pray, that's fine too. But uh, uh, while musicians play, we'll not sing, but while they're doing that, you spend these next few minutes in prayer. Uh, pray for our services Sunday. Pray that we have have a great day here in the Lord. Um, pray for uh, Mike and Andrew and the family as they as they make their move. I guess sometime next, sometime next week, and um, pray that they'll have a real a safe safe journey there and get settled good and and that uh, this will be something that the Lord will bless in their lives. All right, uh, let's go ahead and go to the Lord in prayer.